Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded love live. It. I love it. What do you love? Soki was singing me a new song called Go Your Merry Way. <laughs> Merry Way. <laughs> Happy <laughs> road to Venus and Valley, lead to heaven by and by. And the wind that sweeps the alley, points a finger to the sky. A song on my lips with love in my heart, I'll go my merry way. The sun in my heart, the sun in my eyes, lights up my stars from day to day. Yeah, <laughs> What did you just say, Jennifer? I said, yay, I'm clapping. Oh, I thought you dropped the F-bomb. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good morning, everyone. I, uh, I have a bit of a sore throat this morning, so... Um, I'm just going to gauge it, and uh, if at any time I feel like I need to talk less, well, that's just what I'll do. So uh, we got Mark, we got Jennifer, and we got Soki on the line, and um, I guess we're waiting for Brandon and uh, L.E. I'll shoot them a quick text right, all right, quick, let's see, Brandon, can you fall? Joining in and Le. Are we missing anyone else? Ellie, Brandon, Martha, Martha. And let's see here, Martha. Oh, here's Southern California. I think that's Martha. Okay. All right, everyone. So um, let's begin with some prayer, just a grounding prayer. Hi, Martha. Morning. And um, if you'd like, you can place a hand on your heart and you can join me. Just helping us ground in that heart space. Even rub your, your chest a little bit, get some warmth going there. And we're grateful, grateful for the opportunity to come together. Hmm. Let us offer up on the holy altar in our minds, to the holy altar in our minds, any blocks that might prevent us from being fully present here and now. Grateful for all the good that's expressing brightly through the lives of everyone on this call, the sacred circle, knowing that God is all there is, The nature of God is purely love and all the beautiful facets and extensions of love, knowing that we can't fully even comprehend the vastness, the infinite 
nature of God, but we're grateful to experience it now in this way by simply reminding ourselves that we are one with it, knowing that any obstacles, any hurdles are simply illusions. And so we align now with the highest intention for our life, knowing that it will unfold easily when we go forward in love. All needs are already met before they're even needs. So we live now in a perpetual experience of prosperity and abundance. We're grateful to know that this is our life. Oh, Holy Spirit, we dedicate the healing that we experience today to all sentient beings. We send waves of love and light to those who are suffering today knowing that where they are, God is. Pure possibility resides. We're grateful to know that this is true. We release this word. We let it be. And so it is. And now let's just take a moment to breathe in. Close our eyes. Sit with our spines erect. Just breathe in waves and waves of bright white light. So feeling that bright white light flow in through the top of your head, through the crown chakra, flowing as if someone's filling a vase. You are the vase. The light is the water. Filling your entire physical body with bright white light. Fills all the way to the top of your physical body and overflows to fill your auric field your etheric body. Purifying, cleansing, clearing any appearance of rips or tears in the auric field. We send this bright white light to our emotional bodies as well. Allow it to act as a healing balm on any wounds that are still open from the past. This light supports us in releasing any vows we've made in the past or past lives, vows of poverty, vows of chastity, vows of revenge, anything that no longer serves us gently washes away in the presence of this pure, bright white light. And it is a light of purification. We're purifying our minds, releasing any attachment, ego attachment to the great illusion. Not even that great, it's just an illusion. So this light flows into our mental bodies as well, creating space where once was so much density, quiet where once there was so much noise. We just lean into the light gently. We breathe in the light and we breathe out the light. And we notice in our minds a golden light about the size of a tennis ball in the center of our chest. So within the vastness of this white light glows a beautiful golden light. So we just observe it. We take a moment to just breathe in the white light, gently observe the golden light, and be present in this experience.
We gently observe the white light growing to fill the room that we're in, the building, the block, and it grows like a ripple in a pond in all directions. We see the planet enveloped in a bright white light. All illusion of disease, disorder, disharmony dissolves in the presence of the light. The light grows to fill the galaxy, the universe, all the universes, the multiverse, everything we can comprehend and beyond that until truly all there is is light. We're grateful for this light. We affirm we are the light. The light is us. There's not one part of us that is not the light. We're grateful to know that this is so. Grateful to know that this creative essence, this light essence, flows in all. Knowing that all things appear from the light and dissolve into the light. And so it is. Amen. So take a moment and stretch. Mm. Beautiful. Okay, so um, how are we going to do this? Just going forward with our homework assignments and everything. You don't have to necessarily turn your homework assignments into me unless you would like some feedback, which I'm happy to offer. But um, what you can do is uh, bring them to class with you because we're going to use our homework as our reference guide for the beginning conversation in the first part of class. So it's important that you do the homework because um, if you don't, then you're not going to be able to contribute. And I'll be calling on you guys uh, individually to share your answers, uh, what you offered in with the um, uh, what you came up with and your thoughts and all that stuff. So, so um, first, let's just do a quick little check-in with everybody. <clears throat> hey, Jesse, can I ask a yeah. question? Uh-huh. So it wasn't quite clear to me. So you send out the homework on Fridays. Is that the homework we're supposed to have prepared for Saturday morning, or is it for the homework the following week? Following week. Okay. Yeah, you get it. You, you get it Friday, just so we can uh, go over it at the end of class. So if you have any questions about it, you can ask them. But yeah, no, it's not uh, that homework's not due the next day. It's due the following week. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, well, Mark, since I had you on the line, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. It's been a been an interesting week. Again, for me, uh, but I'm doing well. Thanks. Do you want me to do a full right. check-in? Um, give me a 60-second check-in. Oh, 60-second uh, check-in is um, I am more empowered and stronger and uh, more joyous than I was last week. Um, and that's through uh, the practice I've been doing all week, so. That is good. Yeah, shit. That's a good check-in. <laughs> Way to utilize 60 seconds. That was like 30 seconds. <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Cool. Um, Jen, how are you doing? 
I am great. Um, you know, just uh, what can I say? Uh, everything is on track. Looking forward to the holidays. Looking forward to the new year, and everything is good. All right, beautiful. Toki, how about you? I called in sick yesterday. I'm not feeling well, but I have deep, deep spiritual conversation with my niece uh, with undergoing her divorce proceedings in New York. And my son in uh, San Diego, Pax, who broke me the news that he was dropped out of the SEAL program because of knee injury. Hmm. How's he doing? So we had a very, very... Deep, deep spiritual conversation about all uh, the will of God. Uh huh. Mm, okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. Great. Um, and uh, Martha. I'm good. I'm doing better. I think um, your classes and. For the Course in Miracles on Tuesday helped a lot. So I'm just, um, the whole releasing the hostages thing has worked for me. You know, if I'm not mm-hmm. feeling happy, then who am I holding hostage? So, like just releasing them whenever I notice that I'm just going to not a happy place. So I'm good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. We let those hostages go. And uh, Ellie. Ali's still there? Let me see. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm hiding my phone on mute. Um, I'm good. I'm just um, preparing for Monday. I have um, my lawsuit Monday and Tuesday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. both. And um, I'm meeting with my lawyer soon today uh, to prep me. And I've just been using the principles um, of everything that I have learned to um, – create a safe, positive place because uh, my lawyer told me um, he was trying to negotiate so that we didn't have to go to court because he got a hold of what they got um, and they, like, he said that this is probably going to be the most um, uh, hurtful, um, hard experience that I will ever have to go through. And he just he said that they are vicious, that they have created a file on me to to make me look into some psychotic, just crazy person. And he's thinking you're going to be hearing a lot of things about yourself that are he he, he they just take the worst part of you and the worst part of your history and your life, and they turn it into just this person that really doesn't describe who you are, but they make a convincing mm-hmm. case. So basically he said it, it's um, to prepare myself because it's mm-hmm. going to be eight hours or 16 hours of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm preparing. I'm just taking in all of my spiritual practice that I've learned with um, in this. And mm-hmm. so there I am. Well, that's an interesting topic of conversation, Ellie, because... You know, if you look in your past, is there anything that, knowing what you know today, knowing who you are today, is there anything from your past that could shame you? 
a really good question. Um, um, maybe the way that they have distorted it, you know, that they're going to say it because it's not true. You know, like taking things from my past um, and twisting it into something that's not. Mm-hmm. I think that would bother me most and the truth about what really happened. Does that make sense? Because I know the truth, and mm-hmm. then they're going to be taking a truth but distorting it into something that's not true and creating mm-hmm. this false image or character saying that it's me and then having this judge, you know, just trying to convince the judge of this and then hiring, you know, expert witnesses to, okay, for instance, um, I had to go through psychological testing and cognitive testing because I had a brain injury. So when I went to my doctor and they performed the testing on me, it turned out that I did have cognitive impairment because my head hit twice and I was not unconscious and that I had an above-average IQ. I'm an honor student. I graduated top of my class, but I did get my GED to leave high school to go to college early. So what they're saying is that I couldn't handle high school because I had like a D in chemistry or a couple whatever, so I was bored. But I had a, um, a D or whatever in chemistry. I couldn't handle high school. That their doctor, I had to go see their doctor, and that he's saying that, yes, I have cognitive, there is an impairment there, but it's due to having a very low IQ, that basically I'm an idiot. <laughs> so they're going to be trying to convince the judge that, you know, um, that I'm just not smart, basically, that I have a really super low IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that, just or taking my history of getting a GED instead of for what it was, is that I was bullied mm-hmm. because I was gay at 15, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get out of high school and go into college because I was accepted there. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take things like that and just say, you know, oh, she's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We, they just and it. yeah. So let's let's look at this from uh, a perspective using the tools that we have. So. The first tool I would say, invite you to say is, uh, or first question I would ask you is, do you believe your greatest good is always unfolding? Yes. Okay, great. So at least knowing that you can go in without attachment because you at least know that your greatest good is always unfolding, right? Mm-hmm. So that should bring you some. That should bring you some comfort. So right. even if the um, prosecution creates a narrative about you that isn't true. Is your greatest good still unfolding? Yes. Okay, great, good. Whew, thank goodness, good to know that. <laughs> yeah. Even if the trial does not go the way you want it to go, is your greatest good still unfolding? Yes. Okay, thank God. All right, good. Woof, <laughs> good. So really what you get to go do now is you get to go in and bless everyone because you know that everyone is perfectly innocent no matter what they say, and they can um, uh, create whatever case they'd like to about you. Now, if they create a case and they say that you're stupid and that you're untrustworthy and that you can't handle anything, does that make it yeah. true? No. No, it doesn't make it true. Whose business is it if they choose to create an ugly narrative about you? Their business. It's their business, yeah. yeah. So they can come in. They can say whatever they want to say, and that's their business. 
and your greatest good is still unfolding no matter what. So what is your job showing up there? To mind my business. <laughs> to yeah, be, yeah. To my power, you know. To... Exactly. Yeah. Listen, the best that you can ever do in any situationality is to show up on time, well-prepared, um, and with, the, um, with a good attitude and the willingness to be truly helpful. So that's all that you have to do is you show up on time, well-prepared, with a good attitude, being willing to be very truly helpful. And people can say whatever they want, none of your business. They can bring whatever witnesses or whatever they want. None of your business. Those witnesses can say whatever they want. None of your business. Your, your job is to show up, be present, be on time, have a good attitude, be truly helpful. And then you have to just trust that the greatest good is always unfolding. You can hold the vision for what it is that you'd like to happen. But again, just like this first chapter of our spiritual resources by Joel Goldsmith, don't bring the trial into your prayers because you don't know, right? So if you bring the trial, be like, please let me win this thing. Please let me get this money. Please let, let it go this way. Then you're trying to um, manipulate God to work in your favor. But right. you, don't, you don't know what the best case scenario is going to be, you know? So, um, so you get to just show up and be available, be present, you know, be curious. And just be honest. And, um, you know, you don't have to take anything personally because um, it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Well, that's when I wrote my prayer. You know, the prayer that we wrote mm-hmm. on Facebook, I was, I was channeling that in. I'm channeling in mm-hmm. that and just blessing everybody. I've just been blessing everyone there. And for myself, um, yeah, like I'm just whatever is going to unfold is for my greatest good and the greatest good for everyone. That's exactly. And I'm actually, there's a part of me obviously does not want to experience this, but I'm actually um, not excited, but looking, there's a part of me that wants to because I want to put into everything that I've learned and my spiritual practice. It's almost like um, to, to to use. I want to go in there and and. and and I don't know if a test is the right word, but to say, hey, I, I'm, this is where I'm at, and this is my progression as a spiritual being on this earth, and I can handle this, you know. So there's a part of me that, that's looking forward to this. I look at it as like a spiritual, um, I don't know if a test or lesson, maybe, a growth. Going <clears throat> well, yeah, listen, God doesn't test us. You know, there's no, God doesn't put us in situations that are going to test us. But, um, but, because uh, God is love, and that's just what God is. But it's, it definitely feels as though it's going to be an opportunity for you to stand firmly in the truth of who you are, no matter what. And if things are said that feel triggering, then it's, it's being triggered because it's coming up to be healed. And so you get to listen to what's being said. And you get to ask yourself, is it true? Right. Is that true for me? And really look at it, like, say, you know, find your body, like, ooh, I feel that in my stomach. And just, like, bring, you know, breathe into the stomach, bring love to the stomach and say, I know the truth of who I am, and just affirm the truth. And, um, you know, I, th- I feel like this is what a lot of us are doing collectively right now in the climate of the country as well, is remembering yeah. the truth. So 
Well, we what definitely is, will have prayers for you. Go ahead. I have, I have a question. So God doesn't test us, but doesn't our soul create or we create experiences for our soul's growth? So, like, for instance, this trial, like you just said, could be so that I am, tr- you know, to see what I am still triggered on so that I can bring healing to that, I, that can come out. And what better way than to be in this court and have all these people, you know, these, these lawyers say these these things about me that I can see now this things still need to be healed. What, what is still mm-hmm. triggering me? Like you just said, it's kind of like getting mm-hmm. into a relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like your soul is drawn or your, these two people are drawn to each other to, you know, to see what, what still needs to be healing, what, needs to, what you need to grow from. Mm-hmm. Your soul, your soul. So even though God is not, you know, testing me, isn't it my soul that, you know, is, created the situation i created the situation for a growth well, you, for an opportunity to grow you nailed it right there you who created the situation i did yes yes but it, when we so, say i is it me my my human ego self or is it my soul from a my higher you know my soul wanting the growth what do you think I think my soul, my soul, my soul, my ego kind of working, my soul bringing to light what my ego is still holding on to mm-hmm. yeah. for, for growth. Mm-hmm. What I need to let go of to get to that mm. next. Yeah, remember when we were studying Power of the Subconscious Mind with Joseph Murphy and mm-hmm. he talked about how the subconscious mind, uh, how it works, you know, and how we're all one mind. And how if there is an aspect of your consciousness, subconscious or no, that is ready to heal, then uh, the subconscious mind knows the path that will support us in that healing. So yeah. did, did you die in that car accident? No. Yeah. So there obviously is something there for you. How do we know that? Because it happened and you're having this experience. But this is, you know, when we talk about the law of cause and effect, Mm-hmm. This is thoughts creating form. So um, it's a beautiful example of how, you know, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you've created a situation to support you in your greatest healing mm-hmm. because you've, you've declared that for your life. So Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Well, thank you. This was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do great. And, you know, you're going to be totally supported. And, and you know, looking at our prayers, what we're going to be praying is we're going to be simply affirming the truth of you, affirming the truth of God. And so, you know, I would, if I were you, I'd, I'd listen to the golden key a couple mm-hmm. times, like on your way to court or just in okay. the next few days, because it's just that simple reminder and that simple guide to just shift your focus onto God. Because in God, you know, uh, all, you know all the ways are known uh, in God, conflict disappears. In God, you know, the, there's only light. So um, the more you just focus on God, you know, uh, then it's going to create ease in your journey. Okay. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's actually all together um, take a look at our homework from this last week. And... Um, uh, who would like to give me your answers for question number one? Uh, 
Jennifer, why don't you do number one? Okay. So we have the definitions of uh, omniscience, omnipresent, omnipotence. Omniscience, the capacity to know everything. Omnipresence, the ability to be in all places at the same time, usually only attributed to God. Omnipotence, unlimited power, often attributed to a deity. Great. So if you were going to translate that into uh, street talk, (laughs) casual talk, you'd say these are the qualities or these are the attributes of God. And God is, number one, omniscience is what? Sure. God is all-knowing. Or, or, all-knowing. Sorry, yeah, yeah, all-knowing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And omnipresence? Uh, omnipresence is all-available? All all-present? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. There's no place where God is not. And then omnipotence is all-powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there ain't nothing that God can't do. So he's all-knowing, he's ever-present, and he's ever-powerful. Um, I, I don't want to say he. We should start, honestly, if we're going to be accurate with God, it's more of an it. It is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. Um. Does anyone have anything they'd like to add? Any like anything new that you learned or oh, interesting or any questions you have about this this question? Why do you think it's valuable to know these the definition of these attributes? which everyone knew, I don't know, I mean, I think everybody knew them already inherently, but uh, maybe didn't have the actual clear definition of them. Why is it valuable to have this understanding? Because, as we said in our meeting last week, uh, in order to have a judgment, you know, you would need to know everything, past, present, future, and all of that, and you would need to be everywhere, and we can't be. So by knowing what, what God is, it helps us understand what we are. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, really, that's a really beautiful answer, Jennifer. That's really great. So we talked, we talked last week about the Holy Spirit a bit and how did – I, did I give you guys the metaphor about sort of the – Translator and guide in Tokyo? No. Okay. E- Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> I did. Okay, well, I'll, I'll... Remember it. <laughs> That's when um, Mark got up to get a snack. Um, just really briefly, then, you know, if you go, if, if you're taking a trip to Tokyo and you don't know the language, if you've never been, then it's going to probably benefit you to have a translator and guide because Tokyo is overwhelming to the senses. There's so much going on, and you're not going to know what to do or where to go. You're going to feel lost. 
um, or at least it's going to be really challenging without that translator and guide. And so the Holy Spirit is like our translator and guide in the illusion of separation. So if we don't understand what something is, if we can't find our way, if we are feeling overwhelmed, the Holy Spirit can see clearly for us. It's like our guide and translator. And so it's translating what appears to be uh, you know, violence and hatred and all that stuff into perfect order. And um, so that's why developing the ability to hand things over to the Holy Spirit is so powerful and helpful as it takes us where we need to go and it helps us see clearly. Going back to that story of the woman who was the missionary in Testimony of Light, they said that her ability to hand everything over to her guides, her inner guides, was so um, uh, she was so masterful at it that it helped her, you know, peel away the layers of illusion so she could easily transcend to the next phase of evolution when she crossed over into the um, invisible plane without the body, right? So the Holy Spirit is like our buddy. And what's great is there will come a time when the Holy Spirit is no longer necessary. So the Holy Spirit only exists in the, the illusion of separation. And it's part of the illusion that is for God. It's towards God. It's like forgiveness. Forgiveness is only necessary in the illusion of separation because there's nothing to forgive. So even though forgiveness is part of the illusion, it's part of the illusion that's taking us closer to God, to our awareness of God. So the Holy Spirit is our guide. It's the bridge that takes us from the illusion to our awareness of our oneness with perfect love. Does that make sense? Yes. And, yeah, cool. So um, what's great is you can have your own relationship with Holy Spirit. There's no real rules around here. You can give Holy Spirit a name. Um, I know Reverend Roxy uh, just talks directly to God now, she says, and she calls him Poppy because it's a very fun and sweet relationship. And you can have that, you know, whatever works for you to support you in, in um, feeling connected. So any questions on om- omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence? All-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. G-O-D. Cool. All right. So number two. Um, Mark, why don't you do number two for us? Okay. Um, In your own words, please explain the following phrase. When we stop looking to God for something, that is when harmony begins to unfold in our experience. So I'll just read you guys what I wrote here. Um, When we seek God, we hold a belief that God is not already here. We believe the peace of God is elsewhere, and until we find God, God's peace cannot be experienced. But in truth, God is omnipresent. God's peace is always here, in perceived light or dark, in perceived good or bad. God's presence is unconditional. Therefore, God's peace is unconditionally present, present in all places and times. That is when we begin to experience true harmony. Harmony is simply alignment with the presence that is God here and now. That's really gorgeous. So let's say that you're, um, 
offering a lecture to new spiritual students, and this is your topic of the day. So take what you shared there and simplify it. Like Jen, like I said, take it to the translate into street. So how would you, um, like you were teaching to like uh, sixth graders, how would you simplify that even more? Mm. Um, I would simplify it as this. Um, I would ask the question, how does it feel when you're seeking something? Like when you're looking for something you don't have. I would, I would, I would say, how does that feel? And for me, that usually feels maybe some stress. It feels kind of tight in my chest, like, oh, I got to go do something or get something or figure something out. And then I'm like, what does it feel like when you already have what you're looking for? Like, it's already here. And I'm like, oh, well, for me, that feels light. It feels fulfilled. It feels supportive. It feels good. So God always feels good. Harmony always feels good. So really, it's, it's, when we're looking for something, it, we're, 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 it's always going to feel tight. It's not going to feel good. Harmony, which is feeling good, feeling aligned, is when you just realize that there's nowhere to get to. It's already right here with you. That's um, really beautiful, Mark. Spot on, dude. Really nice. Really nice. Yeah. So if you don't need anything, what do you have? Everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so liberating once you get to There's a certain point in every practitioner's life where it's almost like, Reverend Jennifer Knight talks about this once, about how um, she's noticed how some, some teachers get to a point and they're like, I'm good here. I don't need to go any deeper. You know, I can, I can manifest things easily. I'm living a very, uh, I feel like a very abundant life. I'm enjoying things, and it's great, and that's perfect. And then there's the this, this spiritual students, too, that are like, uh, okay, now, you know, how, do, how can I continue to go deeper? And there comes a point where, like, we have to be willing to get honest about the value of the, our, you know, our value systems, right, and really ask ourselves, What's the value in this? Another way of looking at it, and we discussed this, I think, last module, is what is going, what do you believe is going to save you? What are your saviors? So, Mark, in developing even more clarity around this, like, what would be examples of things that people think are going to save them? You can use examples from your own life if it's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, your fantasy relationship. Um, your dream job, um, your health miraculously being, you know, cured or your disease being cured, um, you know, get, winning the lottery. Yeah, all those things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Romance, finance, beauty. Um, all of those things are going to save us. But there's no salvation in any of them. They're all temporary things. And... Of course, the miracles would teach that the only thing that has value is eternal. The only thing that has true value is eternal. So going back to number one, what is the only thing that's all places, all-knowing, and all-powerful? God. Yeah. So that's the only thing that's, the only thing infinite that we can, you know, even pull from is God. 
because once we leave this experience of this lifetime, the, the relationships, the partnerships, you know, are gone. We bring the love expressed with us, but the house is gone, the job is gone, the money is gone, and people spend, you know, there's this real belief that the money is going to save us, you know, it's going to keep us safe, it's going to mean something about us, the job, the relationship, and none of it's true. So when we stop looking to God for something, and that's the thing is we go and we try to, um, you know, get God to give us something. Well, right, right away, we are out of law. We're already back in victim mode, right? Because, uh, one, we feel like we're without, and being without means something, and that we also are saying that, Noel, actually, we're omniscient. Uh, uh, we're uh, the ones that are omniscient, have omniscience. We kn- we're all knowing, and I know that getting this job is going to be the best thing for me. And there's nothing that anybody can say to convince me otherwise when you don't actually know. So that's why we never bring anything into prayer with us. We don't bring an illness into prayer because if you bring an illness into prayer, then you're affirming that the truth of who I am is this body and this illness is bad. But that's not the truth. The truth is we are one with God and God has no body because God is in all places. So you don't be like, God, I really need this job. Please get me this job. Because um, we don't know if the job is in our greatest interest, is in our greatest good. But God does. There's an aspect within us that does know. So we hand it over to the Holy Spirit, and we always just affirm the truth. I am abundant because I am one with God. I am prosperous because I'm one with God. I am luminous because the nature of God is luminous. You know, and we just think about God. So it's the golden key all over again. There's nothing having, that is going to save us. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was, you know, I was having a ponder this week about, like, what would it be like if I really got the fact that I'm not this body? Um, you know, because I, I was realizing, like, there were just so many things I was really being, I was trying to figure out. I was trying to understand uh, <laughs> with the election and everything else. And I was just like, what would it be like if just like for a moment I really stepped out of like protecting my body or protecting um, like trying to stay alive? Like what if I was already dead and I was looking back on what's going on in my world and the world. So my body no longer existed. Would I have any resistance to anything that's happening ever? And I really got the fact that like, no, I wouldn't like, like literally I would get the fact that none of it, none of it even remotely matters. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, you're kind of mentioning here, you know, I'm not this body. Like for me, it really is something I've been really trying to resonate because I feel like until I really get that, or I, I at least I start to really practice that, um, it's, it's just, it's like a wall that I, I keep hitting up against uh, with resistance. So I really love what you're saying there. Yeah. Well, think about, like, if you really peel away the layers, so much of what keeps us from doing what it is that we'd like to do is a fear of death, honestly. Like, if you follow the bouncing ball back, it's the fear of death. But death of what? Death of the body. So, like, let's say using the, um, uh, the election as an example, 
let's say you do your work, you're good, you're not seeing the guilt in anyone, but you do definitely feel like you need to take a stand in the vision of equality in America and that you'll be willing to go and, you know, go to Washington, take a stand, say something. Whereas before you're like, yeah, but I might get hurt, I might get shot, I might get all these things, but you're like, well, you know, and it's the fear of death that would prevent you from actually going towards that. So it's the great illusion that we are these bodies that prevents us from doing so many things. Also, no, I'm not going to go towards what that idea that really inspires me because if I do, then I might lose my job. And if I lose my job, then, oh, my God, what is that going to mean? What are people going to think about me? Da, 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 da. None of it matters because it's all back to that whole thing of like, yeah, but then I can't, you know, this body won't be making as much money. And then I can't have, this body can't live in such a nice apartment. This body can't drive such a nice car. This body can't have really nice clothes. But it goes back to that whole idea, like, but you hate this body, and you're not your personality either. You're something so much more and expansive than that. And um, so it really is something to consider. Like, if I was not, you know, fear, there's love and fear, right? And so they say that love is the antithesis of fear, but what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. So if God is in all places, then there's no place that God is not. So if God is in all places and there's no place that God is not, then if it appears as though there's evil or there's whatever in the world, it's simply the appearance of thought forms arising, but it's thought forms arising within the illusion. So it's, uh, anyways, I'm going off on a tangent here. But it's a good conversation, Mark. I love that you're, 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 you're asking those questions because that's the, these are the questions to ask is, what if, you know, I wasn't afraid? Then what would my life look like? What if, you know, I wasn't attached to having to have a certain amount of money or a certain title or a certain whatever? What if I wasn't uh, so attached to having to look a certain way and then I could have the freedom to enjoy eating? I could have the freedom to, you know, enjoy going whatever, you know? All the things that we create as (laughs) obstacles to just enjoying ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you just go, well, it's all crazy. It sounds crazy. And you're like, yeah, of course the miracle says it time after time after time. Like, you're insane. You're actually nuts because you think that you're something that you're not. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. All right. Let's, uh, for the sake of uh, getting through this, let's move on to number three. And P.S., um, who – I know Mark has read Joel Goldsmith before – I don't know if anyone else has, but how bomb is Joel Goldsmith? Joel, Joel Goldsmith is legit. Too legit to quit. Okay. Um, Soki, number three. So let's see. Please give one example of how one might try to influence God in each of the following categories. So, Soki, what is a way that someone might try to influence God in the category of health? If I do fasting, I will be in touch with God more. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so if my body is without sustenance, then I can uh, be in touch with God more. Very good. That's cool. That's a cool example. I wasn't even thinking of that, but that's definitely part of it. What's another way, Soki? Think of in terms of health and stuff that someone might try to influence God to do something for them in health. What might happen?
that I don't know. Fasting. Well, not okay. Fasting is one way, but like if someone think about it, if <clears throat> if we're talking about health, someone comes to you for prayer and they're like, "I need you to pray for this." But so they're asking you to influence God about health. What do you think uh, an example of that would be? Someone would come to you for prayer asking for help in what? Well, I will remind him or her of her true nature that it is already given to the degree that he is ready for <clears throat> it. Yeah, no, that's Being what God, everything that we need is already given. It's just that the readiness to, to accept it and to realize it in his or her own terms. That's, yes. I, I don't think I'm being clear with what I'm asking. What are a couple examples of things that people might come to you to pray for around health? Uh, for example, my friend has a breast cancer in San Francisco, huh? and she's asking for prayer. Great. And I <laughs> see her as perfect, whole, and complete, and whatever yeah. she's undergoing right now, is a is a temporary situation of who she really is because she is uh, first and foremost an eternal spiritual being having a temporary human experience. That is her truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. all I need to do is to remind her of her truth. So. When Goldsmith says not to bring the disease into the prayer, what does that mean? So what, what is, a, as, as far as the spiritual treatment goes, what do you not pray for? I do not, I, I will not pray for the... For healing, because when you Sorry? pray for, for example, cancer, you give power to it. Yes, exactly. Just, just, you give power to the cancer. Exactly. So I won't say that. Well, you make it real. Right? I will tell her. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, do you know what's best for this person? No, it's all, only God knows. That's OG. Yes. Always say that OG. Yeah. So only God knows. So we should just stay out of it and just hand it over to God. And so we just we we practice the G O D S method. And the O, the offering, is how we as practitioners acknowledge the prayer request, right? So we acknowledge what's bringing being brought forth. So it's not like we're dismissing the fear or the whatever or the experience that the person's happening is having. We hand it over, but then the declare, the D, is when we simply declare the qualities, the nature of God. Because in the nature of God, there is no dis-ease. In the nature of God, there is no physical body. So we just declare God. We just turn our mind to God. And that's where the healing is. That's the treatment. Now, you could, there is a thing where you could just, someone could... Uh, come to you for prayer, and you just go straight into D. You just begin to declare the truth. And that's just as healing. Um, people would call Joel Goldsmith on the phone, and he would 
he, I think they, it was something like he'd get to over 100 clients a day because he would simply be in, he'd do prayer treatment. So he simply affirmed the truth. He just affirmed the truth. And he didn't even need to know what the ailment was. You know, he would direct his prayer towards the person that would make the request. And the prayer was always just an affirmation of what is. And people would report miraculous healings because he was, one, they believed in the potency of his prayer, and two, he was knowing the truth for them. And so they were able to meet at the level of the mind and have the, the miraculous expression of healing. But he never prayed for the cancer because then it's making the cancer real, you know. So, so he was an example for if cancer, is, if, if having cancer was an example of health, what's one for wealth? What would be an example of someone asking you to pray for wealth? Uh, for example, um, praying for uh, credit card bills. They want to pay all their credit card bills. And uh, reminding them of the truth of who they are and uh, uniting with the characteristics of God, of God is abundance and prosperity. And uh, believing in the truth that since uh, he is a child of God, he is abundant and prosperous, and all his mm-hmm. needs are met, and let God do the work. The how is not God's, it's not his business, it's God's business. Right, exactly. Yeah, so oftentimes people will say, please pray that the money I need for X, Y, and Z will present itself so then I can whatever. But we know as practitioners, oh, they think that money is going to save them. But we know they don't need to be saved. And so we, again, simply just turn our mind to God. We turn our mind to God. And, you know, not everybody's going to want a prayer treatment like that. They're going to want you to think, because they're thinking like, oh, you're going to be do some sort of magical spell, work your secret spiritual voodoo and get me what I want. But they don't know what's best for them. We definitely don't know what's best for them. So why would we even pretend that we do? What's the point in that? The powerful stance is just to declare the truth. And now you can even, you'll find that when you start meeting with people in one-on-one sessions, you'll say, okay, what would you like? And then they'll just go into their story. So it's like, no, no, no. You what? your story is or what you believe is happening to you. What I'm interested in is what would you like? Well, you know, I've never been able to have money because I, no, not the story. What is it that you like? (laughs) And I mean, if you peel off the layers of anything that anyone requests, it's always happiness and peace. Like, so really they're genuinely interested in aligning with the will of God. So (laughs) anyways, well done, Soki. We're going to move on to the next question. Beautiful work. Beautiful examples. You got this, girlfriend. You're doing it. Okay, um, Martha, let's do number four. Please explain the difference between seeking God and relaxing into it. Okay. Uh, what I wrote was when we seek God, 
we're asking for something that we believe we don't have. When we relax mm. in him is acknowledging that we have everything. There's nothing mm. to seek. We're not lacking in anything. We're completely in mm. home. Beautiful. Beautiful. Really beautiful, yeah. And even that idea, I, I think it's he chose his words very wisely when he talks about relaxing into God. So, Martha, when you hear the word relaxing, does it feel frantic? Does it feel overworked? Does it feel... <laughs> Does it feel, you know, uh, in your face? Well, I think before relaxing to me, when people would say relax, I would, uh, in my head, it would be kind of like laziness for some reason. Uh-huh. Not necessarily like just enjoying being in the moment and just knowing that everything's taken care of, which now I see it mm-hmm. that way. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's knowing just that there's nothing to do, that everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, we talk about, you know, the truly receptive stance is one in which you are quiet. You know, that's why when we're talking about the law of cause and effect and creating experiences you're interested in, that it's so much easier to do when you're quiet in your mind. You're allowing your thoughts to focus and you're um, supporting yourself in receiving. It's not about getting. It's about allowing what already is. It's about, let's say that one more time. It's about allowing what already is. We think, because we've been conditioned to believe that we are without, so we believe that we have to go out and get our good. But we were born with it. Our good is here. So it's about allowing the good to express itself, not going out and getting it out there. Pretty counterculture from what we were taught. So, Martha, what are a couple of things that we can do to support us in relaxing into God? What's one practice you can do? Meditation, first off. Yeah, that's the one. <clears throat> that's the biggie. <laughs> it's just learning how to quiet the mind. You know, Goldsmith says, you know, practitioners should learn to quiet the mind so they can recognize God and try to do that at least 20 minutes a day, 20 to 30 minutes a day. Is just to quiet the mind. Beautiful. Um, okay, so uh, let me see. Ellie, you're driving, correct? Not yet, in about 10 minutes, so I can answer another question if you want. Great. Why don't you, can you read the, your response to number five? Yeah, hold on, let me get to it. Okay. In your own words, please offer a short summary of the section Be Willing to Receive God's Grace and God's Level. So let go of preconceived notions on how healing our prayers. Let go of preconceived notions on how healing or prayers answered is supposed to happen. It's a process of God's timing, influenced not by God but by what you are ready for. Raising your level of consciousness, getting silent, and connecting with Source will help to see the changes or healing that are taking place. Growth can be silent, unseen, and physical, like a bamboo tree. It grows underground first for years, and then one day just sprouts out of the ground. It seemed like it happened overnight, but it took years of inner growth. Perfect. God, that was gorgeous. <laughs> really beautiful. Yeah, it's really, uh, well, that was really spot on. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, I, I uh, 
I'm thinking of that section in a course that we read, Should uh, Healing Be Repeated? And it talks about how the practitioner or the teacher of God uh, should trust the healing and stay out of how what's expressing on the physical plane. Trust that the healing is unfolding because you declared it and you handed it over to the Holy Spirit, so God is in motion. And uh, it's when we get into the results or we have this belief on how we think things should unfold that we get in there and then we get our thoughts in there and we start messing it up. So I love the uh, example of the bamboo thing because it's that whole analogy of planting seeds, walking away, and then thinking, where are they? Where, where's the tree? Where's the tree? I, mean, I want it. So you go up and you dig, you dig the seeds back up to make sure that they're working. And then you replant them. Okay, okay, okay. And you replant them. And you dig them back up because it's not happening quick enough or it's not happening in the way that you want. And uh, how are you ever going to receive anything if you continue to do that? It's or ordering another analogy, which I really love, is that you go to a restaurant, you make an order. You trust that the waiter got your order and he's going to bring you back what it is that you'd like. But if you continuously call the waiter back, change your order, change your order, change your order, then you're never going to get what you ordered. So it's about making an order, letting it go, trusting that it will arrive when it's supposed to uh, in the way that it's supposed to. Really beautiful. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to add about that? Really well done, Ellie. That was a gorgeous example. Great. Any last thoughts about this section, uh, Chapter 1 with uh, Goldsmith? Let go. So that... That phrase that I'm sure everybody has heard is let go, let God. This is sort of like getting deep into what that means. Let go, let God. It means get out, stop believing that you think you know what's best. Let God do what God does. Just receive. And let me also say, too, that your prayers that you posted in the Facebook group were gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful prayers, everyone. I was really so impressed with them. I was really moved by um, the beauty that was uh, expressing through your guys' prayers. Really lovely. Okay. I have a question, Reverend. Sorry. Yeah. In regards to this, you know, like it says that, um, okay, sometimes you have to continue praying for something. Like mm-hmm. it's just, the, some, you know, take additional prayer. So, what, I mean, in his style of praying, which is just trusting God and knowing him that. So mm-hmm. would you mention, or I mean, no mention, just I'm confused as far as how that's done. Because if mm-hmm. we would have let it go, and but then it says, like, you mm-hmm. might have to continue praying for some time. So how mm-hmm. is that done? Just, yeah. I'm not sure Good. how you Great that. Great, great question. So um, when you're praying for, when you're praying in this capacity, are you ever praying for things? No. No, okay. So you're really affirming what? Um, the truth of who that person is, who we are. Yes, great. Well, it's pretty much And, and if you... Um, uh, Pretty much what it's saying is it's about aligning with 
the essence of the divine, your true self. And if fear arises, if something arises that feels distracting or doesn't feel in alignment, then you go back and you reaffirm the prayer for peace. You know, I am peace. God is peace. God is one. I am one with God. God is perfect peace. And so it's about reaffirming to support you in, the, in your feeling essence. But it's not about saying go back and praying for stuff again. You know what I mean? Over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with thinking that you like to have certain experiences or certain things. And so the way we know how the, this, the universe works, right? It's cause and effect, the law of cause and effect. So you can make demands of the universe. You can, you know, um, proclaim and declare that there are certain things that you'd like to enjoy. And then you go forward knowing that the universe has received the prayer. So you don't have to continuously do that because you're expecting it to arrive. And then you do so without attachment, right? And so mm-hmm. you're open to receive, but you don't have to keep reminding the universe of the specific thing that you'd like to experience. But what you can continue to do is affirm your peace, affirm, your, affirm that grace is unfolding as your life, affirm that abundance is expressing as your life. So that's what the invitation so if you're, is there. So if you're praying for somebody, then you would just um, pretty much continue to do the same one from... Uh, who they are. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, you can continue to affirm the truth of who they are. Okay. Because that just kind of threw me a little. I thought it was a one-time deal. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. You can pray for people as much as you want. (laughs) Any other questions? All right. So uh, let's take a few minutes. Um, all right, so here's the deal. We're going to be uh, we're gonna meet back here at 9.45, and we get to spend 15 minutes on each section of the course because we're going to do three sections. So um, prepare yourself, have some tea, use the restroom, do what you need to do, and I'll meet you back here at 9.45.
All right, folks. Dive into Course in Miracles, Manual for Teachers. All right. So we're going to read 12, 13, and 14. And I might be being a little too... Um, hopeful that we'll get through all this, but I trust that we all work together. All right, so um, let's see. Why don't we do this over? <clears throat> um, I'll read the first paragraph. Jennifer, you'll read the second. Mark, you'll read the third. Toki, you'll read the fourth. Martha, you'll read the fifth. And Ellie, you're going to be driving, so I'm not going to assign you anything. Okay. Yeah, I'm in a car now. All right. So uh, me, Jennifer, Mark, Soki, Martha. That will be the order of reading. So we're going to start with number 12, how many teachers of God are needed to save the world? Okay, let's begin. How many teachers of God are needed to save the world? The answer to this question is one. One holy, perfect teacher whose learning is complete suffices. This one, sanctified and redeemed, becomes the self who is the Son of God. He who is always Holy Spirit now no longer sees himself as a body or even as in a body. Therefore, he is limitless. And being limitless, his thoughts are joined with God's forever and, forever and ever. His perception of himself is based upon God's judgment, not his own. Thus does he share God's will and bring his thoughts to still deluded minds. He is forever one because he is as God created him. He has accepted Christ and he is saved. Thus does the Son of Man become the Son of God. It is not really a change, it is a change of mind. Nothing external alters, but everything internal now reflects only the love of God. God can no longer be feared, for the mind sees no cause for punishment. God's teachers appear to be many, for that is what is what is the world needs. Yet being joined in one purpose and one they share with God, how can they be separate from each other? What does it matter if they then appear in many forms? Their minds are one, their joining is complete, and God works through them now as one, for that is what they are. Why is the illusion of many necessary? Only because reality is not understandable to the deluded. Only very few can hear God's voice at all, and even they cannot communicate. His messages directly, his messages directly through the spirit which gave, gave them. They need a medium through which communication becomes possible to those who do not realize that they are spirit. A body they can see. A voice they understand and listen to without the fear that truth would encounter in them. Do not forget that truth can come only where it is welcomed without fear. So do God's teachers need a body, for their unity cannot be recognized directly. Yes, what makes God's teachers is their recognition of the proper purpose of the body. As they advance in their profession, they become more and more certain that the body's function is but to let God's voice speak through its human ears. 
and these ears will carry to the mind of the hearer's message that are not of this world, and the mind will understand because of their source. From this understanding will come the recognition in this new teacher of God of what the body's purpose really is. The only use there really is for it. This lesson is enough to let the thought of unity come in, and what is one is recognized as one. The teachers of God appear to share the illusion of separation, but because of what they use the body for, they do not believe in the illusion despite appearances. The central lesson is always this, that what you are the body, for it, it will be it will become to you. Use it for sin or for attack, which is the same as sin, and you will see it as sinful. Because it is sinful, it is weak, and being weak, it suffers and it dies. Use it to bring the world, the word of God, to those who have it not, and the body becomes holy. Because it is holy, it cannot be sick, nor can it die. When it's Usefulness is done, it is laid by, and that is all. The mind makes this decision, as it makes all decisions, that are responsible for the body's condition. Yet the teacher of God does not make this decision alone. To do, the, to do that would be to give the body another purpose from the one that keeps it holy. God's voice will tell him, when he has fulfilled his role, just as it tells him what his function is, he does not suffer either in going or remaining. Sickness is now impossible to him. Oneness and sickness cannot coexist. God's teacher, teachers choose to look on dreams a while. It is a conscious choice, for they have learned that all choices are made consciously with full awareness of their consequences. The dream says otherwise, but who would put his faith in dreams once they are recognized for what they are? Awareness of dreaming is the real function of God's teachers. They watch the dream figures come and go, shift and change, suffer and die. Yet they are not deceived by what they see. They recognize that to behold a dream figure as sick and separate is no more real than to regard it as healthy and beautiful. Unity alone is not a thing of dreams. And it is this God's teachers acknowledge as behind the dream, beyond all seeming and yet surely theirs. Okay, so what I always found confusing about this section was that I thought Jesus, you know, who is narrating, you know, who is uh, who uh, Helen Schickman's channeling through this, I thought he had awakened. And so why, if he had awakened, then why are we still here? So, uh, and it says only one teacher of God, it only takes one teacher of God to awaken, to wake up all people. So to wake up the, you know, entire collective. So who has um, an idea or thought as to what's going on? Like why, if Jesus had awakened, why are we still having the experience of this dream?
Exactly, right? Kind of confusing. <laughs> I'm like, so, what's the answer now? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I hope he does. <laughs> well, we have to, uh, one, we have to c- consider the illusion of time, right? So we think that time is a real thing. Two, are we not awakening through the enlightenment of Jesus by doing this work now. So this is the process of awakening. The collective is awakening because he did awaken. He is sharing in the collective. He's supporting us all in awakening uh, through his guidance and his words and his practices in the undoing process, the uh, atonement process. And it says here that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, where there is fear, love cannot be seen, right? Because a lot of people aren't interested in receiving the teachings, aren't interested in receiving the truth. They're too invested in the illusion. And so the process has begun. I believe the awakening process has begun. And Jesus is supporting us all in awakening, and this is proof uh, positive of that through these practices that we are all doing. How many of you are seeing tremendous shifts in your life as a result of doing this work? Amen. Mm-hmm. Right? So enlightenment is here. In fact, um, uh, this, uh, a lot of Course in Miracles teachers would say that the experience we're having now is more like a review process than actually is happening. Like we're already awakened. But we're having the experience here now of the awakening is, is happening as we continue to experience more of God's grace in our day-to-day lives. And so because of Jesus' willingness to share, you know, that because of his ability to awaken, we are all now awakening. Does that make sense? You also have to be interested. In, you have to be willing to release your grip of the illusion of fear, of body identity. Jesse, can you speak a little bit more about that we're actually already enlightened and we're in the review process? Well, let me hand that over to Holy Spirit because... (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if you think of it... um, um, what many people would say was that as soon as the question was asked, the answer was given. So as soon as that mad, tiny idea of separation appeared in the collective of God, the answer was already provided. And so this experience that we're having is the answer to the question, what would it be like to be separated from God? But because God is God, the nature of God is God, uh, the answer was provided instantly. And so though we think that time is linear, it's actually not. So we're having the experience of the illusion of separation, but it's just that, like it's already done. So the, um, so we're already back in the loving embrace of God. You know, the question has already been answered and we're simply, uh, reviewing the experience. It's like a review process of the experience, which is interesting because it's another opportunity to uh, give yourself more permission to feel freely, to go towards that which you love because it's already, we're already there. 
And enlightenment is, you know, enlightenment as we understand it is an awareness of our oneness with God, like the experience of oneness with God. And that is brought on through peace, through joy, through the experience and expression of peace and joy. And yet how often do we... um, do we, uh, sorry, the word is um, neglect, you know, how, uh, neglect, reflect um, those experiences because we don't believe we're worthy of them. So, um, and yet, because we're not, we, because we have this experience of being in the, in the illusion, which there is a value system that is, has no value. And so we believe that if we don't align ourselves with the value system of the illusion of separation, which never actually existed, uh, then we're, um, you know, so we deny ourselves joy, the things that bring us joy, because we feel as though we have to be, quote, unquote, responsible. We have to do the things that uh, a mature adult is supposed to do, you know, in the world today. And if we don't do that, it's because we're, you know, immature, unworthy, we're irresponsible, we're all these things. But imagine, you know, how much more free your life would be if you just simply went towards that, which you, which the things that you enjoyed. And if a lot of this just doesn't make sense, perfect. Leave it to the side. Don't try to pick it up. Um, it all will be revealed to you as, uh, as things are always revealed to us. There's this great story about um, Bill Thetford, who was the co-scribe of The Course in Miracles. And when study groups were first starting to form, he would go and he didn't really want to be the center of attention, so he'd try to be a presence, which, but oftentimes people would look at him and ask him for support and guidance on what things meant. And if an argument ever arose in the study groups about what something meant, he would go over to them and he'd look at the thing that they were he was looking at the section that they were arguing about, and then he would rip the page out. And he would say, okay, continue. Because if you're arguing about it, you're missing the point. This is not supposed to create upset. It's supposed to bring harmony. <laughs> so if there's a part of it that's upsetting or confusing or creating stress, then move past it. Just, just leave it, operate on a need-to-know basis. Which is one of the most annoying ideas I've ever had to work through, but <laughs> is what it is. Any, um, any other questions, any parts of this that stood out to you? All right, let's move on. What is the real meaning of sacrifice? And I read last, so Jen, you're up. Although in truth the term sacrifice is altogether meaningless, it does not have meaning in the world. It does have meaning in the world. Like all things in the world, its meaning is temporary and will ultimately fade into nothingness from which it came, where there is no more use for it. Now, its real meaning is a lesson. Like all lessons, it is an illusion, for in reality there is nothing to learn. Yet this illusion must be replaced by a corrective device, another illusion that replaces the first, so both can finally disappear. 
The first illusion, which must be displaced before another thought system can take hold, is that it is a sacrifice to give up the things of this world. What could this be but an illusion, since this world itself is nothing more than that? It takes great learning both to realize and to accept the fact that the world has nothing to give. What can the sacrifice of nothing mean? It cannot mean that you have less because of it. There is no sacrifice in the world's terms that does not involve the body. Think a while about what the world calls sacrifice. Power, fame, money, physical, pleasure. Who is the hero to whom all these things belong? Could they mean anything except to a body? Yet a body cannot evaluate. By seeking after such things, the mind associates itself with the body, obscuring its, its identity and losing sight of what really is. Once this confusion has occurred, it becomes impossible for the mind to understand that all the pleasures of the world are nothing but what a sacrifice. And it is sacrifice indeed all this entails. Now has the mind condemned itself to seek without finding, to be forever dissatisfied and discontented, to know not what it really wants to find. Who can escape this self-condemnation? Only through God's word could this be possible. For self-condemnation is a decision about identity, and no one doubts what he believes he is. He can doubt all things, but never this. God's teachers can have no regret or giving up on giving up the pleasures of the world. Is it a sacrifice to give up pain? Does an, does an adult resent the giving up of children's toys? Does one whose vision has already glimpsed? Sorry, I'm having some um, glass problems. My glasses. Uh, the face of Christ looked back with longing on a. Can somebody else go? I'm sorry. My vision is getting blurry with these glasses. Sure. Does one whose vision has already glimpsed the face of Christ look back with longing on a slaughterhouse? No one who has escaped the world and all its ills looks back on it with condemnation. Yet he must rejoice that he is free of all the sacrifice its values would demand of him, to, to them he sacrifices all his peace. To them he sacrifices all his freedom. And to possess them must he sacrifice his hope of heaven and remembrance of his father's love, who in his same mind chooses nothing as a substitute for everything. What is the real meaning of sacrifice? It is the cost of believing in illusions. It is the price that must be paid for the denial of truth. There is no pleasure of the world that does not demand this, for otherwise the pleasure would be seen as pain, and no one asks for pain if he recognizes it. It is the idea of sacrifice that makes him blind. He does not see what he is asking for, and so he seeks it in a thousand ways and in a thousand places, each time believing it is there and each time disappointed in the end. Seek, but do not find, remains the world's stern decree, and no one who pursues the world's goal can do otherwise. You may believe this course requires sacrifice of all you really hold dear, 
in one sense this is true, for you hold dear the things that crucify God's Son, and it is the, the course's aim to set him free. But do not be mistaken about what sacrifice means. It always means the giving up of what you want. And what, O oh teacher of God, is it that you want? You have been called by God and you have answered. Would you now sacrifice that call? Few have heard it as yet, and they can but turn to you. There is no other hope in all the world that they can trust. There is no other voice in all the world that echoes God. If you would sacrifice the truth to stay in hell, and if they say, you will remain with them. Do not forget to sacrifice this total. There are no half-sacrifices. You cannot give up heaven partially. You cannot be a little bit in hell. The word of God has no exceptions. It is this that makes it holy and beyond the world. It is its holiness that points to God. It is its holiness that makes you safe. It is denied if you attack any brother for anything. For it is here the split with God occurs. A split that is impossible. A split that cannot happen yet a split in which you surely will believe because you have set up a situation that is impossible. And in this situation, the impossible can seem to happen. It seems to happen at the sacrifice of truth. Teacher of God, do not forget the meaning of sacrifice. And remember what each decision you make must mean in terms of cost. Decide for God. And everything is given you at no cost at all. Decide against him and you choose nothing at the expense of the awareness of everything. What would you teach? Remember only what you would learn. For it is here that your concern should be. Atonement is for you. Your learning claims it and your learning gives it. The world contains it not. But learn this course and it is yours. God holds out his word to you, for he has need of teachers. What other way is there to save his son? Oh, this is a beautiful and confronting section. (laughs) I think of, I mean, when I really look back and I think of my um, ambition, especially my career, And I really think about how much peace I sacrificed in the name of my ambition. Like feeling restless, feeling discontent. Those were the things that fueled my my hunger for success. And I've seen it translate into my work at Inspire and things like that. But I've done so much work around it. And the older I get, or I suppose the more work that I do, the less I'm um, attached to the success in the, in the um, world's view. And I'm much more interested in my spiritual unfoldment. I'm interested in feeling peaceful. I'm interested in feeling happy. I'm interested in feeling present and available. And if I'm worried about you know, being the most successful, if I'm worried about 
you know, how am I going to be, you know, uh, how am I going to be an outlier? How am I going to stand out and all that stuff? I'm sacrificing my peace of mind because I'm not, enjo- one, I'm not being present. I'm not enjoying the experience that's unfolding now. And I'm making my career my savior. Like that somehow a successful career is going to mean something about me. I used to believe that until I reached a certain level of success, that my opinion, my perspective, my contributions weren't really worth anything. Nobody should care. I didn't care. And so I never felt complete. I always felt like I was on my way towards something, but I never felt there. And again, what did I sacrifice? You know, I sacrificed feeling content. I sacrificed feeling uh, loved and worthy and peaceful. So let's talk about this a little bit and how, you know, to the ego, the idea of sacrificing things in the world feels very threatening. And many people will be like, well, I don't want to have to give up my career. I don't want to have to give up my money. I don't want to have to give up all that stuff. And I don't think that's what the Course is saying. But I think what it is saying is you have to give up what you believe it gives you, the value that you've given to it. You have to be willing to release that so that you can have an honest relationship with it. So you can't partially have heaven. Right? You have to be able to accept that the illusion is an illusion and the only thing that has value is, um, is eternal. And the only thing in the illusion that ha- that's eternal is love because this is the illusion of separation, separation from God. And so death and decay has to be a part of the illusion to make you believe that, this, that the true nature of the world is temporary, but it's not. So let's discuss this. Who would like to share their thoughts on this section? Did anything stand out to anyone? Uh, I'll go. Um, so this, I mean, this just spoke so beautifully, I, I think, to a little bit of what I shared before, of like if I was not this body, um, you know, what, how would my per- perspective um, change? And I totally get this. Like, really, peace is in kind of the understanding that um, there's nothing that we ever sacrifice. Um, because any, anything that we think we're sacrificing, again, is just part of the illusion. Um, it's also interesting because it's also triggered for me as much as, like, I totally am there, I get it, and, like, there's a big yes coming from inside me. There's also this other component in my mind, which I know is a healing for me, but, you know, growing up, um, I was always told, um, specifically my mother, that I'm, I'm someone who I don't care. Because um, I always, I, for some reason, I've always been detached in a certain way from kind of what's been going on around me. Um, and I don't know if it she kind of made me feel like that was a defense mechanism and that there was something wrong about that and that I just didn't care. Um, and that was a bad thing. I never felt it was bad because I always felt like it brought me more peace compared to what I saw the rest of my family experiencing. Um, but there still is that something there that comes up for me that when I hear this and I hear the yes, you know, there's nothing you're sacrificing, let go of everything. Um, don't make meaning out of, out of this world, um, there's still that little thing that comes up for me of like, there's something wrong or bad that I'm not, you know, 
making something important or I'm not caring enough. Um, so there, there's that that's, that's there for me. And I definitely, I think with right now with so many people being mobilized and really kind of entrenching and what they want to stand for um, and or react to, um, I find myself, again, leaning back towards letting go, not attaching to I have to stand for every, anything um, other than my own peace. Um, and, and everything else is just illusion. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with, um, with, with this one. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I think you nailed so much on the head there, Mark. And, um, you know, I think that not caring is absolutely irresponsible to the ego. The ego, the ego survival depends on you caring, Right. So the ego survival depends on you placing value on things. And so, um, you know, one of the really powerful teaching that um, Reverend Roxy gave was about how she doesn't play the politics game anymore because she doesn't believe that politics is going to save us. And she doesn't want to play it. It doesn't bring her any peace. And so she doesn't vote. She's not taking, she's not, um, taking part in any of it because she's not interested. And she thinks, she goes, I, she believed that Hillary Clinton believes that politics will save the world and that Donald Trump believes that it, whatever is going to save the world. And a lot of people think that, you know, politics is going to save the world. And she said, it's just not. And it's all an illusion. And so if you want to make politics your savior, go ahead. But I'm not interested. I'm interested in going towards the things that bring me joy. So if you can observe the game of politics unfold and be joyful about it, go, go for it. But she goes, stop trying to fix the world. The world is it's an illusion. But we always think that we have to fix the world and that spiritual people need to do good, good in the world. Hold on a second. The little dog is very excited that someone's near the door. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's, all, it's, it's up to you, the individual, to think what brings me joy and to go towards it. What feels fun? What feels like that? Because that's what... That's, that's where, you know, the true growth is going to be. And, but the ego will call you irresponsible, out of touch, you know, not aware. But what if you just choose not to play the game? So, yeah. Yeah. Good insights. Who else would like to share? I think where... Um, I think that my, you know, I have these two things that are, are, I'm always hearing in my mind. And one is, yes, you know, that, uh, that there should be no fear and that your life doesn't have to look like what society says and go towards your joy. And I hear that message. And then, and then I also hear this message that is, you know, happiness exists and peace exists right now exactly where you are doing exactly what you're already doing. And so sometimes I feel conflicted like, well, you know, what does going towards your joy mean? Is that an outward expression or an inward expression? And, and in, and in going towards my joy, am I actually just running away from somewhere where I'm feeling challenged? And I contemplate that like a hundred percent of my days. <laughs> yeah, well, that's really great. I think that you're you're finding like the subtleties of this work. Like, am I 
avoiding, right? Or, and I think too, like, your bliss can be as a professional woman. That could be your bliss. You know, your joy could be getting up and going into a workspace and being um, in a leadership position there. And that could be like so fulfilling and totally your, your thing. And we don't have to think that, you know, finding your joy, going to a thing, like releasing the value of, you know, the external world has to look like, you know, just traveling the world and having no cares and whatever, you know. It's, and that's why it's like so it's all very specific based on the unique expression that you're having. Right. So, I, yeah, so I continue, I invite you to continue to ask those questions. Then in the moment, you know, be able to pause and ask yourself, am I avoiding or am I believing that in order to be truly spiritually touched, I'm not supposed to like this kind of stuff. I'm not supposed to do this. You know what I mean? Right. And the answer will answer will be shown to you. And what what's great is, you know, this is where we're handing it over to the Holy Spirit becomes really important because we might not have the answer, but there's something within us that does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, rock and roll. Um, anyone else? This is definitely a section worth Revisiting. All right. So let us do uh, read the last section for today's reading. I'm so grateful that we're actually getting through it. It's going to be great. Um, who read last? Sophie. Sophie? Okay, cool. Um, Martha, do you want to just be an active listener for this? For the section, or, no, or I'm good. I took off my contacts. Okay, cool. Um, so why don't you begin? How will the world end? Can what has can what has not sorry can what has no beginning really end? The world will end in an illusion as it began. Yet will its ending be an illusion of mercy, the illusion of forgiveness, complete, excluding no one. Limitless and gentleness will cover it, hiding all evil, concealing all sin, and ending guilt forever. So ends the world that guilt had made, for now it has no purpose and is gone. The father of illusions is the belief that they have a purpose, that they serve a need or gratify a want. Perceived as purposeless, they are no longer seen. Their uselessness is recognized, and they are gone. How but in this way are all illusions ended? They have been brought to truth, and truth saw them not. It merely overlooked the meaningless. Until forgiveness is complete, the world does have a purpose. It becomes a home in which forgiveness is born, and where it grows and becomes stronger and more all-embracing. Here is it nourished, for here it is needed, a gentle Savior born where sin was made and guilt seemed real. Here is his home, for here there is need of him indeed. He brings the ending of the world with him. This is called God's teacher's answer, turning to him in silence to receive his word. 
The world will end when all things in it have been rightly judged by, by his judgment. The world will end when the benediction of holiness upon it. When not one thought of sin remains, the world is over. It will not be destroyed nor attacked nor even touched. It will merely cease to seem to be. Certainly, this seems to be a long, long while away, when not one thought of sin remains. Appears to be a long-range goal indeed. But time stands still and waits on the goal of God's teachers. Not one thought of sin will remain the instant any one of them accepts atonement for himself. It is not easier to forgive one sin than to forgive all of them. The illusion of orders of difficulty is an obstacle the teacher of God must learn to pass by and leave behind. One sin perfectly forgiven by one teacher of God can make salvation complete. Can you understand this? No, it is meaningless to anyone here. Yet it is the final lesson in which unity is restored. It goes against all the thinking of the world, but so does heaven. The world will end when its thought system has been completely reversed. Until then, bits and pieces of its thinking will still seem sensible. The final lesson, which brings the ending of the world, cannot be grasped by those not yet prepared to leave the world and go beyond its tiny reach. What, then, is the function of the teacher of God in this concluding lesson? He need merely learn to approach it, to be willing to go in its direction. He need merely trust that if God's voice tells him it is a lesson he can learn, he can learn it. He does not judge it either as hard or easy. His teacher points to it, and he trusts that he will show him how to learn it. The world will end in joy because it is a place of sorrow. When joy has come, the purpose of the world has done. The world will end in peace because it is a place of war. When peace has come, what is the purpose of the world? The world will end in laughter because it is a place of tears. Where there is laughter, who cannot? Who can longer weep? And only complete forgiveness brings all this to bless the world. In blessing it departs, for it will not end as it began. To turn hell into heaven is the function of God's teachers, for what they teach are lessons in which heaven is reflected. And now sit down in true humility and realize that all God would have you do, you can do. Do not be arrogant and say you cannot learn his own curriculum. His word says otherwise. His will be done. It cannot be otherwise. And be you thankful it is so. Yeah, so isn't this a much nicer uh, end of of the world scenario than we were taught in uh, Revelation? Instead of a seven-headed dragon and death and violence, it's just a gentle awakening and the end of the world um, is over when we see that there's no real need for it anymore. (laughs) We just release it. And we do this through the practice of forgiveness. And um, so it's like freedom from the illusion. So it's a gentle awakening. And it's really about transcending the 
body identity because the end of the world only sounds scary because we feel as though that's the end of our body. Um, I really love, too, the last part that Soki read where it says, you know, don't be arrogant. You can do this um, because um, God said it is so, you know. You're the son of God. So, like, it's already done. It's a done deal. So to think, like, this is never going to happen for me. I can't do this. Who am I? That's just your ego trying to talk you into the belief that you're unworthy. You're still so unworthy. But it's all baloney. Big bunch of baloney. Who has some thoughts on this section? I'll share quickly. Um, I really like the line in the last paragraph that said, to turn hell into heaven is the function of God's teachers. And like what jumped out for me of that is just that practice of just saying yes. Yes. To whatever is perceived as a hell or perceived as bad or perceived as wrong or perceived as fearful, to instead resist, to just dive into it with a yes and, and make it make it perfect, make it heaven, make it exactly as it's supposed to be, and it's good. What is hell? Separation. Yeah, separation from God, right? And so... uh, So the illusion of separation that we're experiencing, it's the perception of hell. It's the experience of of hell. But it doesn't have to be. We get to turn it around, like Mark said, by saying yes, by going forward, going towards that which feels joyful, feels peaceful, which feels loving, cultivating the practice of forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is the ability to see the innocence in everyone. So we're seeing our brothers and sisters correctly. And we see ourselves correctly. We release the identity with the body and understand that we are one with the one. We awaken to heaven, which is oneness with God, which is a true reality. We never left heaven. We just thought we did for a second. And it's a gentle awakening. You know, if you um, go into a toddler's room and they're having a bad dream, you don't shake them awake and be like, my God, wake up. It's awful in there. Don't do that to yourself. No, you just, one, you're not worried for their safety because you know they're just dreaming. And two, you just gently allow them to wake up, you know. Give them the space. Maybe rub their back calmly. and You gently awaken them. And that's a really beautiful way to hold this experience in your relationship with God. It's, it's a gentle awakening. Any other thoughts? For me, it's just that whole once, once, like all sins are the same. That's the one that sometimes I feel challenged with. Yeah. Okay. So all all sins are the same in the regard that um, sin is impossible because sin is an attack on God, but it's impossible to attack God. And even though, listen, 
within the game that we are playing, we have certain rules within that structure of the game. And to create harmony within the illusion, it supports us to align with those rules. And if we are not these bodies, if the whole idea is releasing body identification because we are not these bodies, it's an illusion, then, you know, the big one, murder, in the game, in the rules of the game, it's not good. But in the truth, in the ultimate truth, it never happened. And so in the ultimate truth, all sins are the same because sin is impossible. In the experience that we're all participating in, and for the sake of our sanity, we can say that we were all choosing to participate in, there are certain laws that support us in living in harmony with one another, having the experience while in harmony. And, um, you know, the Buddhists would say that we support people in, you know, like we remove them from the possibility of causing harm to others to support their karma, right, their next lifetime. But if you think about it as thought processes and identification and experiences, you know, it's very loving to say you're not bringing joy. You're creating upset. You're creating more fear, you know. You're you're, you're um, upsetting people. So it's loving to stop that. We're going to put you here so you can work on yourself. I mean, that's the, the idea of going to prison or rehabilitation, but, um, you know, that gets mucked up too. But I understand what you're saying. And again, you got to work on that. If someone's chasing me with a knife, I'm probably going to run. I'm not going to stand and be like, I am not this body, my brother. Please, stab away if it brings you joy. Any other thoughts? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You got, um, you got your homework for next week, so work on that. We're taking next Saturday off for the Thanksgiving holiday, so we'll actually be meeting in two weeks from today again. Uh, do this week's homework, and then, um, you know, I haven't decided if I'm going to send you next week on Friday or if we'll wait until our next class. I'll probably wait so that we're not trying to overload our class time together, and we can spend more time with the ideas and the concepts. So get to work on this week's uh, homework so we can discuss it when we're back together again. Uh, I'm going to send out a gratitude challenge to all the practitioners. I'll send that out on Monday. So be looking for that. It'll be something fun that we can all do together. And um, that's all I got. Any last thoughts, any questions? All right, so taking a deep breath in, we just acknowledge that this is a breath of gratitude. We're grateful and thankful for the opportunity to come together to support one another and remembering the truth of who we are. It's so good to know that love is all there is. And we just offer up any beliefs, any blocks that would tell us that there's anything else happening than that. Thank you, God, for all the good expressing through us, around us, in us. Oh, 
God is so, so good. We know this. We know this. And in no, knowing this, we are sharing the healing benefits of this awareness, this awakening with everyone because we're one with them. We're grateful to do so. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you so Amen. much. Yeah, great class. Uh, Ellie, we'll keep you lifted this week. And just remind us in uh, the Facebook group to send you out a prayer, and, and we'll, um, we'll do that the day of. And I love you all. Love you all. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.